Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is Michelle, and I will be your conference operator today. I would like to welcome you to Canopy Growth's first quarter fiscal year 2022 financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. I would now like to turn the call over to Judy Hong, Vice President, Investor Relations. Judy, you may begin the conference call. Great. Thank you, Michelle, and good morning, everyone. Thank you all for joining us this morning. On our call today, we have Canopy CEO David Klein and CFO Mike Lee. Before financial markets open today, Canopy issued a news release announcing our financial results for our first quarter fiscal year ended June 30, 2021. This news release is available on our website under the Investors tab and will be filed on our Edgar and Cedar profile. We have also posted our supplemental earnings presentation on our website. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that our discussion during this call will include forward-looking statements that are based on management's current views and assumptions, and that this discussion is qualified in its entirety by the cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements included at the end of this morning's release. Please review today's earnings release and cannabis reports filed with the SEC and CEDAR for various factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from projections. In addition, reconciliations between any non-GAAP measures to their closest reported GAAP measures are included in our earnings release. Please note that all financial information is provided in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Following prepared remarks by David and Mike, we will conduct a question and answer session during which questions will be taken from analysts. To ensure that we get to as many questions as possible, we ask analysts to limit themselves to one question. With that, I will now turn the call over to David. David, please go ahead. Thank you, Judy, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to begin today's call by providing some thoughts on the first quarter and the continued progress that Canopy is making in our business transformation uh, during fiscal 22 to date. Mike will then discuss our quarterly performance in more detail and offer additional perspectives on our outlook. During Q1, our Canopy team continued to establish itself as a consumer-led, innovation-driven organization with an efficient supply chain and a disciplined cost structure. Key highlights that resulted include achieving another quarter of strong double-digit revenue growth for both cannabis and consumer product businesses, closing on our acquisitions of Ace Valley and Supreme, continued emphasis on developing a robust pipeline of new products that are rooted in consumer insight and innovation, with over 50 new SKUs introduced in the last two quarters and over 100 on the way. Our adjusted EBITDA loss narrowed significantly in comparison to last year and last quarter. And we remain dedicated to furthering the opportunity that lies before us with increasing Canopy's efforts in U.S. THC. We're delighted by the momentum within the U.S. to end cannabis prohibition and remain optimistic on the legislation that has been introduced to do so. However, the first quarter of fiscal 22 was not without challenges. 
The Canadian recreational market continued to be impacted by COVID-related lockdowns for much of the quarter. Competition increased with single-strain offerings at higher THC levels and lower prices, and we faced internal supply and execution challenges. As a result, our market share softened. And we're not where we want to be from a margin standpoint. It's also important to keep in mind the magnitude of the transformation that Canopy has gone through over the past 18 months. And as with any organization undergoing a big transformation, there are growing pains and adjusting to new ways of working takes time. We're actively taking steps to improve our performance and specifically looking at how we can scale our new operating model to mitigate structural challenges in the industry, including a long production cycle and onerous regulations. Now I'll take a few minutes to review highlights from the latest quarter. Despite continued COVID lockdowns, we're pleased to share that our Canadian recreational cannabis business grew 35% year over year. Amid a very competitive environment, we maintain market share leadership with 15.2% share of the tracked provinces in Q1 2021. This market um, share now includes Ace Valley and Supreme Cannabis, which we welcomed into the Canopy family this past quarter. Integration is progressing smoothly and we see these businesses making positive contributions to our top and bottom lines over the coming quarters. Following the Ace Valley acquisition, our sales team has become fluent in the beloved Ace Valley brand and ready to enjoy products, securing listings in several provinces and are driving incremental distribution of Ace Valley products that are already in market. Since integration, we've launched a number of new products under the Ace Valley brand, including Ace Valley Dream CBN Gummies and Ace Valley Pinners. We've also begun integrating the commercial and production operations of Supreme Cannabis. Our sales team is in market with the robust Supreme product portfolio and is actively working to increase listings and distribution across Canada. On the production side, we're leveraging Supreme's expertise and industry-leading knowledge of cultivating premium flour and we plan to integrate Supreme's facility into our operational footprint. Our US CBD business continues to build momentum driven by Martha Stewart CBD, which is now the number three CBD brand nationally across food, drug, mass and convenience channel, channels per IRI. Quattro has launched in seven states and has been sold into over 1,000 doors. Our consumer products brands delivered strong growth driven by stores in Bickle, which saw sales increase by 41% year over year. In addition, BioSteel's new RTDs drove triple digit year over year sales growth. Since I became CEO of Canopy, I've spoken to the importance of investing in consumer insights and new product development to bring products to market that delight consumers. I'm very pleased to see this investment beginning to pay off as our robust innovation pipeline has started to bring new, differentiated products to market, and we expect the pace of new product launches to accelerate over the coming quarters. This is also being done alongside our portfolio optimization strategy, where we've already eliminated a significant number of underperforming SKUs, and we're prioritizing high-performing SKUs as we are adding new SKUs to our portfolio. Many of our innovations are focused on addressing consumer need states, whether it's sleep, relaxation, socializing with friends, 
and delivering desired effects in mood management. We're also launching premium quality products with new genetics, terpenes, flavors, and packaging aimed at enhancing the consumer experience. Let me now highlight some of these innovations that have hit the market as well as provide a view into our exciting pipeline. In flour and pre-roll joints, to meet demand for a Quebec exclusive brand, we launched Ferret, which is on its way to becoming one of the top selling flour brands in Quebec. Our new single strain, TWD 28 Blue Dream and Apple Pie flour offerings were number five and number six single strain offering products by volume nationally in the first quarter. In a rapidly growing pre-roll category, we recently launched Tweed Quickies and Ace Valley Pinners small size pre-roll joints to address consumer preference for sharing cannabis in a group setting without having to pass a single joint around. Following an extensive flower quality initiative aimed at enhancing flower satisfaction, we're introducing Canadians to Doja, our premium flower brand, including recently introduced Doja Legendary Larry flower in Ontario, as well as the national rollout of Tweed lineage strains. Our flower team is excited about additional flower and pre-roll innovation that we expect to bring to market over the coming months, including new packaging, in new, higher THC, single-strain genetics. In vapes, strong consumer demand for the 0.5 ml and the 1 ml 510 cartridges launched over the past two quarters has strengthened our Canadian vape business. In the first quarter of 2022, we launched our Tweed Citrus Sealand all-in-one vape pens, which have been positively received by consumers. These new 510 and all-in-one vape pens are driving a significant uptick in consumer pull. And we have additional vape innovations that are scheduled to come to market over the coming quarters, including the introduction of live resin cartridges to the Canadian market. Turning to beverages, we're seeing consumer purchasing trends uh, currently pointing to a strong demand for beverages with higher THC. In response, We've started to bring a range of higher THC beverages to market, beginning with our new Tweed iced tea beverages with five milligrams of THC, which are available in refreshing lemon and raspberry flavors. The feedback on these beverages from consumers and bud tenders has been nothing short of fantastic. We've also begun shipping our new Tweed Fizz seltzers in the current quarter. Analogous to hard seltzer in the beverage alcohol world, they have five milligrams of THC and come in two refreshing flavors, watermelon and mango. We're very excited about the range of new beverages that we will bring to consumers over the coming months, including an expansion of our best-selling Deep Space beverage brand. We're on pace to more than double our assortment of beverages in market during fiscal 22. In edibles, our portfolio of gummies in Canada has expanded rapidly over the past quarter under the Ace Valley and TWD brand uh, banners. Building on the successful launch of TWD strawberry gummies, which now have the number two market share of all gummies in Canada, we are launching the TWD mixed berry gummies in the current quarter. We also launched Ace Valley dessert flavor gummies, key lime pie and peaches and honey, and have begun shipping our Ace Valley Dream CBN gummies available in a tasty blackberry lemon flavor and containing CBN, 
a minor cannabinoid that lends itself well to restful sleep, the Ace Valley Dream CBN Gummy addresses the consumer need state of sleep, which is in high demand. We're scheduled to bring a robust portfolio of new gummy innovations to market over the coming months, featuring gourmand flavors, better effects, and preferred THC levels. I'm very pleased at the new products that have been launched in the past quarter and look forward to the consumer response to the exciting innovation pipeline that we have planned in the months ahead. Turning now to the U.S., we're focused on advancing our U.S. ecosystem and continue to believe that cannabis reform will happen during this Congress. Cannabis reform took an important step forward with release of the draft Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act that was introduced by Senators Schumer, Booker, and Wyden on July 14th. This bill takes an impressive approach in crafting a regulatory structure that is specific to cannabis. We enthusiastically support the sweeping social justice and social equity provisions within this package. These measures will benefit those who have been disproportionately impacted by the criminalization of cannabis. Social equity can only truly be achieved through full legalization, and I firmly believe that cannabis should and will be legalized at the federal level. It's what Americans have overwhelmingly been asking for. Two other pieces of legislation that together, if passed, could be a positive unlock for our CBD business in the U.S. include H.R. 841, which would require the FDA to regulate CBD as a dietary supplement, and S-1698, which would mandate the FDA to regulate CBD as a dietary supplement as well as food and beverage. We believe the passage of these bills would establish a national regulatory framework for various CBD products and would give retailers, including national mass retailers, the regulatory framework they've been seeking to participate in the CBD market. We believe this would be a material unlock for our CBD business in the U.S. Against this backdrop, we continue to advance our U.S. ecosystem, positioning Canopy for success in the U.S. under various scenarios. We've already established multiple routes to market in federally permissible THC markets, our plan of arrangement with Acreage Holdings and our conditional investment in Terrasen provides an immediate turnkey path to enter the U.S. THC market. We anticipate that Acreage's performance will continue to improve and are excited about their plans to launch cannabis beverages in select U.S. states in the coming months under the Tweed brand banner. In addition, we're actively seeking opportunities to make additional legally permitted investments in advance of U.S federal permissibility of THC that increase our exposure to that THC market. Finally, achieving profitability and improving free cash flow remain our top priority. We are on track to deliver $150 million to $200 million of cost savings across our COGS and SG&A, and we remain committed to accelerating top-line growth in the second half of fiscal 22 and achieving positive adjusted EBITDA by the end of our fiscal 22. In summary, with a robust pipeline of product innovations hitting the market, the integration of Ace Valley and Supreme well underway, and ongoing improvements to our supply chain, I believe will strengthen our competitive position in our core markets and drive significant top-line growth over the coming quarters. With that, I'll now turn it over to Mike for a review of the financial results in more detail. All right. Thank you, David, and good morning, everyone. 
Our Q1 results demonstrate our continued focus on financial discipline with adjusted EBITDA improving both year over year and relative to Q4, despite softer than expected revenue and gross margin performance. In the first quarter of fiscal 22, we generated net revenue of 136 million, representing a year over year increase of 23% with strong double digit growth seen across both cannabis and consumer products businesses. Our reported gross margin in the quarter was 20%. Our adjusted EBITDA loss during the quarter was 64 million with an improvement of 31% year over year. And our free cash flow in the first quarter of fiscal 22 was an outflow of 186 million. Now let's dive further into Q1, starting with the global cannabis segment, which grew 17% year on year to 93 million. Our Canadian rec business grew 35% year over year to 60 million, driven by 22% growth in our B2B channel and 84% growth in our B2C channel. Our Canadian medical cannabis declined 3% to 13.5 million. Our international medical and other cannabis business declined 8% year on year to 19.4 million as growth in our US CBD business was more than offset by sales declines in C3 and Germany due to ongoing COVID restrictions and increased competition. Looking into our Canadian rec business in a bit more detail, our B2B revenue growth benefited from increased store openings, particularly in Ontario, and growth from our flower uh, value products, as well as contribution from our 2.0 products and acquisitions. Our B2C revenue growth was driven by increased store count up from 22 last year to 34 this year, and a 65% increase in same store sales when normalized for days closed due to COVID during Q1 of last year. Now, given the importance of our Canadian rec B2B business, let me provide some additional details, including some challenges that we faced during the quarter. While we grew cannabis year over year, performance came in below our expectations, driven by continued price mix headwinds, as well as some internal execution challenges, resulting in lost market share during the quarter. I would like to dive into both points so that I can highlight the actions we're taking to address these issues. First, price mix continued to be a sizable headwind on our flower business, with product mix continuing to shift toward larger, value-priced offerings, including newer and lower price points. Value flower across the industry accounted for nearly 52% of total flower sales in Q1, up from 44% a year ago. Simultaneously, our value flower sales increased to 59% of our flower mix in Q1, compared to 34% a year ago. So we've gone from being under-indexed relative to industry and value flower last year to now being over-indexed. And our increased focus on value flower made sense at the time as consumers were increasingly seeking value offerings during the COVID pandemic and this volume has provided Canopy with some increased volume leverage, which has generated some productivity gains in our supply chain. But during the past year, we've also witnessed the value category itself moving lower in price, further amplifying our mix headwinds and leading to real price erosion. And considering the regressive nature of the cannabis excise taxes, 
It is extremely difficult to achieve our long-term financial objectives by being overdeveloped in the value category. Hence, we've been shifting our focus and have already taken steps to premiumize our product portfolio, building a robust pipeline of innovation in premium flour, pre-roll, and 2.0 products that David addressed earlier with more to come. Additionally, we're encouraged by signs of premiumization emerging in the industry and we expect price mix headwinds to abate in the coming quarters. Second, our market share decline in Q1 was in part driven by missed opportunities stemming from internal execution challenges. While Canopy maintained number one share of the total track market in Q1, our market share declined by 290 basis points sequentially to 15.2%. In flower, Canopy, again, maintained number one market share, but our market share declined 350 basis points sequentially to 17.9%. And as we've highlighted in past calls, we've made good progress on execution during the past year, including raising our average fill rates from 55% in Q4 of fiscal 20 to above 90% throughout most of last fiscal year. However, in Q1 of this fiscal, we did not have enough supply of single strain and high THC premium flour. We faced some growing pains of adjusting to our new operating model. And we had some challenges associated with the increased complexity tied to our innovation and premiumization efforts. And we've taken several steps to ensure increased supply of single strain and high THC offerings to better meet market demand. First, the acquisition of Supreme brings Canopy the top premium flour brand in Canada, which immediately improves our capacity to produce high-quality, high-THC flour. Second, the cultivation of new genetics is underway, and new products are beginning to hit the market with more on the way. Third, we've secured additional third-party supply to help us cover demand during the second half of the year, and we have a sourcing strategy in place to move toward insourcing most of our premium flour while outsourcing most of our value flour from third parties over time. And lastly, we are beginning to leverage Supreme's expertise in producing premium flour in tandem with our other ongoing efforts to improve cultivation and post-harvest processes across Canopy, including our new hang drying uh, program in Smith Falls, which increases our capacity to produce high quality, high THC flour. Now we also recognize that premiumization leads to increased complexity with long lead times and challenging regulations, but we view premiumization and innovation as a critical driver of canopy success. And we believe there is a path forward as we scale our leaner footprint to improve execution. Moving on to other consumer products, which grew 39% versus prior year to 43 million in net revenue. Stores and Bickle grew 41% year over year, benefiting from increased distribution in the US and strong consumer pool, notably for the Volcano Classic and Hybrid, Mighty and Crafty Plus vaporizers. This works grew 7% year over year due to continued strong sales through Amazon and other third-party e-commerce channels. BioSteel grew 179% year-over-year, primarily due to the launch of BioSteel ready-to-drink beverages in the U.S. 
Let's now move on to gross margin for the quarter. Gross margin for the quarter was 20%. Adjusted gross margin, excluding 1.4 million of charges related to inventory step up on business combinations was 21%. Gross margin in Q1 benefited from payroll subsidies of approximately $7 million received from the Canadian government pursuant to the COVID-19 re relief program and excluding this benefit, adjusted gross margin would have been 16% during the quarter. Adjusted gross margin in Q1 was negatively impacted by lower than planned production output given flower supply shortages and unfavorable pack size and geo mix in our Canadian business, as well as some startup costs in the US. But we expect gross margin to gradually improve over the course of fiscal 22 as we accelerate sales growth, premiumize our portfolio, and improve execution. Turning to operating expenses, our overall SG&A in the fourth quarter decreased 17% versus prior year. Unpacking this further, G&A expenses declined 48% year over year, primarily due to reductions in staffing and professional fees, as well as the payroll subsidy. Excluding payroll subsidies, G&A expenses were down 28% year over year. R&D expenses declined 39% year over year, driven by product timing and lower finished product development expenses. Sales and marketing expenses increased 34% due to increased advertising and promotion in support of our US CBD and consumer products businesses. Moving on to our cost savings program. Through the end of Q1, we've generated approximately $38 million of cost savings across both COGS and SG&A, including $32 million in Q1. And with the savings that we've recognized to date, coupled with our expectation of future savings, we are confident that we will recognize the 150 to 200 million in savings by the end of the first half of next fiscal year. Our net income during the quarter was 390 million, inclusive of other income of 581 million, most of which is tied to non-cash, fair value adjustments related to our various financial instruments, driven mainly by the decline in canopy share price during the quarter. Turning to free cash flow, our free cash flow in the first quarter of fiscal 22 was an outflow of 186 million, which is a 3% greater outflow versus the prior year. The free cash flow during the quarter was impacted by the timing of certain payments totaling over 19 million, interest payments of 24 million, and inventory increases of 23 million, primarily driven by the Supreme acquisition and the ramp up of BioSteel RTD sales in the US. Canada inventory, excluding the impacts from Supreme, was flat. CapEx declined to 20 million during the quarter, down significantly from 62 million in Q1 of last year. Now taking a step back, our top priority remains achieving profitability and improving cash flow. So let me spend a few minutes providing some perspective on the outlook for the balance of this year and the key drivers to our path to profitability. I'll cover this in three parts, looking at the building blocks behind our revenue outlook, what it means in terms of gross margin expectations, and then finally, what we're expecting from an SG&A perspective as we scale. On revenue, 
We're expecting strong top-line growth, particularly in the second half of our fiscal year with the key drivers as follows. In Canada, we expect a benefit from robust industry growth, market share gains, and improved price mix. The Canada rec market is on pace for 40% growth in fiscal 22, driven by increased store count. And at the end of Q1, there were 2,178 stores in operation, and we expect store count to reach 2,600 stores by the end of fiscal 22. We are also focused on improving our market share with gains expected through improved supply of high THC strains, distribution increases on existing products, and new product launches expected to hit the market later this year. In Europe, we expect our German flower business and C3 to benefit from industry growth as the COVID recovery leads to more selling opportunities and improved supply. In the US, we're truly in the beginning stage of what we expect to be a strong sales ramp driven by distribution expansion of current products in the market, as well as new product introductions in fiscal 22. For Martha and Quattro, we are just under 4,000 doors in Q1 with more distribution on the way. For BioSteel, we're working closely with Constellation's Gold Network to ramp up distribution with the next big wave of chain authorizations beginning this fall. And for stores in Bickle, we expect to see con continued broad-based growth across Volcano Classic and Hybrid, Mighty, and Craft Plus, as well as an exciting slate of innovation in the back half. Moving on to gross margin, we expect the price mix impacts in Canada to moderate, and we're already seeing some green shoots and the shift toward premiumization. And here are a few examples. The mainstream flower segment, for example, grew in line with value in Q1 versus Q4. We're seeing increased premiumization with store reopenings driven by greater upselling opportunities as bud tenders re-engage with consumers in the stores. And finally, PRJs are growing four to five times faster than flower, which leads to margin increases. And with our innovation, skewed to premium and mainstream flour, PRJs, and 2.0 products, all of which carry higher margins. We expect to see improved gross margins as we head through the fiscal year. And as for the U.S., we expect our startup costs to moderate as we scale up our CBD and our CPG businesses. And we expect to grow and to scale much more quickly in the U.S. than in Canada, as we rely more on third-party producers for some of our products, and our internal production facilities are much smaller in scale than our Canadian facilities. Lastly, with respect to SGNA, we expect most of our GNA costs to remain fixed as we scale, with AMP expected to flex as revenue ramps. R&D expenses will largely remain fixed as we scale, with certain costs being tied to stage gate activities, all of which are budgeted and reflected in our outlook. And as a reminder, our full year SGNA, inclusive of the above, is expected to be down 40 to $50 million year over year. From a phasing standpoint, note that the expected acceleration in both revenue growth and profitability is likely to be much more pronounced during the second half of our fiscal 22, given the timing of our new product launches and the timing of our expected distribution ramp. In 
conclusion, we expect revenue acceleration in the back half driven by industry growth, market share gains, and improved execution, which allows us to significantly improve our profitability in the back half of this year. This concludes my prepared comments. Operator, David and I would be happy to take questions from analysts. Thank you. To ensure an efficient call that gets to the questions from as many analysts as possible, analysts are requested to limit themselves to one question. Please press star 1 now if you have any questions. Your first question comes from Vivian Azer of Cowan. Please go ahead. Operator, we can't hear Vivian's question. Your next question comes from Heather Balski, Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, you know, you, you talked about some of the execution challenges you had in the quarter and, and some of the strategies you have in place to make sure you have the right supply. Um, can you just dig in a little bit more in terms of, you know, what's behind you in terms of execution, what you're still working on, and, and you know, when you expect to see the, the improvement? So uh, I'll start, and then, and then Mike can uh, can come in afterward. I, I think you know the the issue is uh, uh, just generally as you're as you're ramping a business. If you look at our Canadian business, um, our rec business being up 35% year over year, um, and we've added uh, these consumer preferred SKUs into the mix. So we've created uh, a, you know a business in Canada um, across uh, I believe all of the LTs that's reasonably complex and highly regulated, right? And so, uh, and it's an agricultural business. And so you can't, you can't turn on a dime as a result of, uh, uh, of, of, of the growth cycle that you have to adhere to. So um, we've, we've uh, I think, uh, done a good job of, of improving our planning processes, in improving our ability to move product through the facilities, improved our ability to forecast demand across the industry, even working with um, the provincial boards like uh, the OCS, uh, which is in Ontario, um, to help us uh, jointly plan the business uh, on a go-forward basis. And we've, we've cleaned up a lot of the complexity uh, that had existed in our uh, supply chain previously. So it's a complicated business, but I think we've... Um, you know, we've, we've covered some really good ground to, to vastly improve the execution o over time. I think that's right, David. And I think just to provide some perspective, over the last 18 months, we've made tremendous changes to our footprint, shuttering facilities across Canada and across the world 
while also right-sizing our labor force and also globalizing our org structure. And we've put a lot of best-in-class CPG business processes in place that are now being uh, you know, refined and optimized. And we're making great progress, but we're not all the way there yet. And you know, uh, we're confident that we're doing the right work. And it's just you know, called a bit of growing pains as we normalize into this new model. So more thing, more progress to come, but we're confident that we're on the right path. Great, thank you. And and I had a your next question comes from Doug Mame, RBC Capital Market. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um I just wanted to speak a little bit about um, the EBITDA improvements that you're expecting through this fiscal year. I think the language has changed slightly as it relates to when you expect that to occur, such that now we're looking to, you know, towards the end uh, of the fiscal year. Um, I'm curious to know what type of market share gains do you need to see the positive EBITDA? Uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, thanks, Doug. So, you know, as we've talked about previously, so much of our path to profitability comes down to revenue growth and getting economies of scale. And we've previously indicated that our North Star is getting to $250 million of revenue on a quarterly basis becomes that, you know, that run rate whereby profitability starts to become, you know, um, you know, within the crosshairs. And um, when you look at, um, you know, the building blocks behind our math, you know, a lot of that's going to come on the back of Canada, which is growing 40% year on year. And as we indicated earlier, we're not happy with the share performance that we've seen over the last 12 weeks, but we're confident that the innovation that we're bringing to market over the next three to six months is going to strengthen our market share and put us back on that trajectory to getting to that $250 million run rate. The other critical component in our trajectory is activating the US. And between all of the CPG brands that we highlighted and our CPD brands, we've got a lot of momentum. And we believe that you know, over the next three to four months, as these um, distributors start to activate locally, as the national chains start to open up, we're gonna be a, see a significant ramp in our U.S. revenue. So we've got line of sight to getting to that $250 million, but it is going to come down to execution. It's going to come down to activation uh, across the distributor network in the U.S., and it's going to come down to uh, new product development. But we're confident on all fronts that we're going to get there. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tammy Chen. BMO Capital Markets, please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, with respect to the you know missed revenue opportunity because of execution challenges, I'm wondering if it's possible if you could quantify that. Um, and then, uh, just because you've talked so much about um, product launches being critical in the back half of this year, I'm wondering specifically, um, the OCS recently made some sort of change with respect to, I think, delaying when they'll take on new products. I think they're pushing back that window. 
So do you mind just talking about that? Does that impact um, your, your plan at all? Thanks. So Tammy, maybe I'll take the first part and David can address the OCS question. Look, in Q1, we, we, we know we had missed revenue opportunities on fill rates. We know that we had missed revenue opportunities on high THC or strain-specific supply. Um, and we know that we had missed revenue opportunities on timing of activation in the U.S. on certain products. Uh, it all comes back to execution. And uh, although I don't have, you know, specifics on, you know, to be able to quantify that for you, that is the largest driver behind our share loss in uh, Canada is, you know, basic execution and inventory supply. So you can do the math on your own to figure that out. But um, we're confident that we're taking the right steps to improve execution on all those fronts. David, do you want to take the OCS? Yeah, Tammy, as it relates to the provincial boards in general, first of all, uh, each of the boards are getting more and more sophisticated as we go forward. And, you know, we, we, we try to be really strong partners uh, with them. And so we've been uh, a party to all of the discussions around listing windows and so forth. Um, and uh, our uh, NPD expectations for the rest of the year take those listing windows into account. And look, we just think it's good for the industry to have that level of sophistication uh, uh, for all of the players to, uh, to, to have to adhere to. Uh, it's, it's what I'm used to um, in my experience uh, when you're dealing with, uh, with your customers and, and particularly your retailers. So, um, you know, we, we, we we're comfortable that the projections, when we're talking about them, take those listing windows into account. And again, I think I think that increasing sophistication at the provincial board level is is really good for the industry. Your next question comes from Andrew Carter, Stifle. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I wanted to focus specifically on the commentary around the THC investments. I, I think it seems like you're a little less bullish on the Schumer bill. I'm not sure. But I did want to ask if you're kind of signaling that you might be a little bit more aggressive. First off, would those investments be outside acreage? And kind of where does that relationship stand as, as using acreage as a vehicle? Because I believe there's some license fees that you'd have to pay to them. And then finally, given your relationship with Constellation, do you have the flexibility to move a little bit uh, aggressively and potentially them uh, uh, do a do an exchangeable share position like you have with Terrison? Thanks. Yeah. So um, yeah, good good questions, Andrew. Uh, the thing that I want to be really clear about is uh, when we're talking about USTHC um, permissibility, we're not waiting, right? So so I just want to remind everybody of you know how we're approaching this. So first thing we're doing is we're we're building our U.S. business. Uh, where we can today, meaning uh, CBD, where we're, you know, we have the Martha Stewart brand, which is the number three brand. Uh, we have BioSteel. We have our consumer um, products businesses like uh, Stores in Bickle, um, uh, which, which, as Mike pointed out, was up 41% year over year. Getting those routes to market built in the U.S. help us build that infrastructure that we can leverage upon permissibility. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you point out acreage. Um, so we own 70% of acreage and 20% of Terrasen. Um, that gives us a turnkey entry to the U.S. post-permissibility, but it also allows those businesses to grow as they can leading up to permissibility. So to the extent that the MSOs are allowed uh, to continue to, to, to drive their growth plans, we, you know, we have some guys that are 
that are doing it and I think doing it well today. Then, uh, you know, your, uh, your, I guess to go further onto your points, and so then when we talk about Constellation, Constellation is already providing us capabilities around brand building. Think about the company that has literally built the Modelo brand into one of the strongest beer brands in the U.S. We have access to that capability set at, at Canopy. Constellation has a very strong distribution network. We are using that network today. Constellation has really good operational capabilities as evidenced by what might be best-in-class EBITDA margins across CPG. And then we have the $2 billion in cash on our balance sheet, right? So all of those things together, I think, uh, we're just saying that I remain really bullish on US THC permissibility, but even without permissibility, we're doing things today that allow us to be uh, real uh, significant players in the US THC market post permissibility. Now, in terms of what we would be willing to do today, I would argue that we've actually um, led the industry in terms of uh, defining how we can enter the US through transactions like Acreage and Terrasend, and we're not finished. So we're gonna continue to do um, that sort of activity um, uh, you know, between now and the time we get to permissibility, and you know, we're pretty excited about what some of the opportunities bring. And as it relates to um, our relationship with Acreage and Terrasend and our agreements that we have between them, I think that uh, you know the, the the businesses as as much as we can, uh, as much as we are allowed to under the current regulations and laws, uh, the businesses I think are really clear on what we're mutually trying to accomplish, which is to build the strongest um, U.S. Uh, cannabis ecosystem uh, that, that you know, we possibly can. And I think CB, CBI has been uh, a, a huge positive in, in this regard. And so I think uh, we've not been in any way limited by Constellation. In fact, our ability to address the U.S. market has actually been bolstered by the Constellation presence. Your next question comes from Bill Kirk. MKM Partners, please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. That was that was a pretty perfect segue for for where I wanted to go. I, I wanted to spend a little time on on the relationship with uh, Southern Wine and Spirits, um, the Martha Stewart gummies, the Quantro pro, uh, products. They're they're different from a lot of their portfolio, and I, I would think in many states would likely go to di different retail accounts than than Southern would normally call on. So I guess the question is is how willing is is Southern to adjust the routes to help your products hit all the potential accounts, uh, not just existing Southern accounts. And, and does that ability for them to do so, how, how does that differ maybe between states? Yeah, so, so Bill, good, good question. And, you know, uh, I will tell you uh, to begin with that we have a lot of support for our CBD business at the highest levels uh, within Southern. They view this as an unlock for them over time uh, uh, as uh, cannabis and cannabinoids become mainstream in the U.S. And so they're, they're putting resources on this to make sure that they build out that capability set. I would also say uh, on that same vein, we're having the same discussions um, with, the, with the members of Constellation's uh, uh, beer distribution network, the Gold Network. Um, and so I think that uh, uh, I think that we have very willing partners, uh, and, and we want to be useful to them as they're 
as these alcohol distributors are trying to build out their capabilities in this regard. And then, you know, as it relates to market coverage, um, the, our agreement with Southern as it relates to CBD brands is really focused on the states, first of all, where, uh, where they can, uh, where they can uh, comfortably and legally take our CBD products into those states. And it, it also, uh, our agreement uh, with them calls for uh, Southern to have access to those states where the routes to market line up with the, the kinds of uh, routes to market the, the actual retailers that we think our brands are a good fit with. And so I don't think there'll be a conflict um, uh, from that perspective. Uh, and, and you know, the one other comment I might make about this is that our sales teams and Southern sales teams and BioSteel sales teams and uh, the Beer Network sales teams are just in the beginning stages of learning to work, learning to work together. And that's the sort of thing that, that you know, I'm really, gives me a lot of optimism in our U.S. businesses because as, as those partnerships grow and as we get better at, uh, at, at uh, managing the relationships right down to retail and through that distribution channel, um, we're going to be really well positioned with the brands we have in the market today and the brands we'd like to bring to the market in the future. So um, I would say it's going well, and we have support at the highest levels in those organizations. And Bill, I know you know all those folks, so uh, you should you should ask them that question as well, because I think they would give you the same response. Your next question comes from John Zamparo, CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I also wanted to follow up uh, on the commentary on the U.S. side as well. Is it fair to say you'd prefer a structure that mimics the TerraSend deal rather than your acreage deal? And, and David, what do you think is missing from your current U.S. Uh, optionality investments, whether it's brands or, or geography or different parts of that ecosystem that you referenced? Yeah, uh, so, John, I think from a structure standpoint, um, you know, when, when, when we're looking at the U.S., um, we're prepared uh, to be flexible enough to meet the legal requirements and to, you know, and to be able to uh, drive that agenda forward. So I would say there's not, there's not a, you know, there's not a predefined path. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, all of our partners um, uh, have been, have been really understanding of that and, and, and willing to, to flex. Um, when I think about what's missing, uh, you know, let me tell you what I, let me maybe first say what I have or what we have, right? So we have, I think, really strong positioning in the highly populated East Coast markets. Um, and I, I, I see that as being a real tailwind for, um, for our partners because those markets are just beginning to open now. And, and so we're going to see the power of uh, the capability set behind acreage and TerraSend, I think, is, as those markets open more. Um, you know, when you look at the rest of the country, I think that um, my uh, when I think about maybe how I would would uh, would, would want to build out the, the framework, I think I'm less concerned about uh, uh, some of the. Um, uh, Having a multi-state operator, for example, that's that's uh, that has a large business in California, because I think the California business looks a lot like the liquor industry already, with with a bit of a liquor store distribution model. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, you know, it would be more about having other capabilities other than just 
you know, kind of seat to sale capabilities that you have within within the MSO. So um, I would say, John, maybe I'm 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 uh, I'm not being uh, really specific here on what we're looking for, but you should know that we are out there uh, looking to build out our capability set. Your next question comes from Michael Labory, Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, Michael. I just want to, just want to come back to the EBITDA uh, profitability um, aspiration and, and um, just make sure I understand it really and, and how achievable you feel like it is because I guess want to make sure first am I hearing you right that it depends on hitting at least close to a 200 and 50 million sales run rate, and if so, you know, obviously for 4Q, for example, that'd be up about 70%. You're talking about the Canadian market running up around 40. Would my math there be correct to imply that you really, to, to hit this, it all depends on US CBD really gaining a lot of speed and, and also some outsized contributions from, from someplace like Germany? Yeah, I think that's generally accurate that our path of profitability isn't based on Canada growth alone, but it's the success in the U.S. and ramping up our uh, our new businesses that we spoke about earlier. And you know, the the, the one of the biggest ones is is on biosteel, and, and we've talked about that at length in prior calls. But you know, this is a multi-billion-dollar sports nutrition category that we're going after, and we're building ACV as we speak. We're in. I think it's over 16,000 doors as we speak. Um, the gold network at Constellation is being activated as we speak. And we've got a lot of wins under our belt um, already in terms of understanding the response in distribution and, and velocity, you know, from some of the local marketing that we're doing. So, you know, that's one that I would argue is our, our largest, most meaningful upside opportunity in the back half. But I would not dismiss the uh, the contribution from Martha and Quattro. David spoke about how Martha is performing in market in terms of brand performance and velocity. Quattro still early days, but all signs are are positive that we've got the right product with the right branding, with the right flavor profile. And we also have new products that are coming to market that we haven't announced yet, but we will be announcing those soon um, that are that are really entering markets that are very large TAM that virtually have no meaningful competitors in our way with, we think, differentiated attributes that will be very competitive. Uh, so all of these things are assumed in our second half of the fiscal, so we have to execute, Michael, but you're right that the U.S. is a large contributor to our path to profitability. Your next question comes from Adam Bucam, Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I don't know if it's already been touched on. I apologize. I had to jump on a little late here, but I wanted to get a view on, you know, the dynamics in the Canadian market currently, um, you know, particularly in a province such as Ontario, you know, we've been out of uh, sort of lockdown protocols for just over two months now. And, 
I was just wondering if you've seen any changes in buying patterns from the provincial distributors on the back of that. You know, there's been a, a backlog of stores that have opened over the past, you know, six months. And so you would think at some point, you know, they'd have to start stocking inventory again to, you know, offset those, those sort of new stores, right? Um, you know, just any color on that front would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, so let me take let me take first stab, and David, you can you can jump in. But um, look, I, we do think we're on our road to recovery um, in, in, in Canada. It's it's been a tough slog here for the last four or five months. I'd say, you know, when you look at what's been different over the last few months, store traffic um, abated quite a lot over the last quarter, and um, that has that has multiple implications because as as consumers revert back to online or click and collect where the uh, engagement with the bud tenders is non-existent, then consumers quite traditionally are reverting back to what they know or just simply seeking large quantity at low price. And it's not a surprise to us that we've seen this, this um, migration to value and consumers not exploring new products as much as they would be if they were face-to-face -face with a bud tender being sold on product attributes or being able to uh, talk about what occasions they're shopping for. Um, so that's been non-existent and, and we're starting to see some green shoots on that, which I spoke about in my remarks, that as we look at our store engagement with consumers, as we get out in the market and talk with other bud tenders, those interactions are, are, are really encouraging because consumers do want to discover uh, some of the new products that are out in the market and those interactions with the bud tenders are just key due to some of the, you know, as you guys know, uh, pretty challenging marketing rules in Canada in terms of uh, being able to advertise products. In terms of provincial behavior on inventory, uh, it's mixed. Uh, clearly in the Jan, Feb, March timeframe, we felt a pullback of inventories across the board pretty consistently. That's starting to come back. I know that Ontario has uh, rebuilt much of their inventory over the last couple of, of months. Uh, we're seeing some of that in Alberta, but it's been, you know, it's been a little hit and miss across the provinces. But generally speaking, we think that the, the provinces are back in the mode of replenishing uh, their inventory to support the, uh, the ongoing growth in store count and consumers coming back to the stores. Yeah, and I would, the only thing I would add to that, Adam, and it's a build on my earlier comment, the provincial uh, boards, so ultimately our customers, are becoming very efficient and, very, and, they're, and they're very well run. And I think that uh, continued evolution uh, in, in, in that regard is going to help us and others in the industry uh, to be able to meet consumer needs on a consistent basis. And I, again, I think that, that that just bodes well for those of us that, that know how to uh, you know, work well with our customers. Your next question comes from Rupesh Parikh Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, so I, I have really two related questions on the revenue line. So first, um, do you guys still feel comfortable with that CAGR of 40 to 50% the next few years? And then secondly, is there any granularity you can provide in terms of how you think about the revenue contribution related to Supreme and ACE? For this year? Uh, so short answer is yes. Uh, we're maintaining our guidance on 40 to 50% CAGR annually for the next several years, uh, not, not, not changing that. 
in terms of Ace Valley and Supreme, look, we're very excited about these two brands and we think we're just getting started. The, um, the integration plans with Supreme are well underway. Uh, it's been fairly seamless so far. We, uh, we announced that with Supreme, we would capture $30 million of synergies over the next year. We're very confident that that will be delivered. Uh, we've got innovation plans behind Supreme uh, that are in progress. We have uh, our Canadian sales force very excited on continuing to build out points of distribution on Supreme. So it's a, you know, a sizable contributor um, in FY22. And, and one of the things that we spoke about earlier, but just to reinforce, is arguably one of the biggest intangibles on Supreme is going to be the knowledge transfer that we're getting on growing premium, high THC flour and transferring some of those practices into some of our other grow facilities. And it's, it's, it's been quite uh, productive. In terms of Ace Valley, uh, again, Ace Valley, when we acquired it, it was a very Ontario-centric brand, and we're continuing to build out distribution across Canada on that. Uh, we're very happy with the performance that we've seen so far, and behind Ace Valley, we have additional MPD plans, as you would expect, that will be coming to market, you know, over the next, you know, three to six months. So, um, again, we're, we're, these are highly synergistic brands that we believe fit white space in our portfolio and, you know, all signs are positive. David, anything you want to add on, on those acquisitions? No, I just think that the, you know, the, the ability to take a brand like Ace Valley and innovate around it is, is just really fun. The products that are coming out are, are, you know, totally dialed into consumer expectations. And, uh, you know, I, as I said in my comments, uh, Rupesh, you know, I'm really excited about Ace Valley Dream CBN gummies, you know, the, uh, a, a real strong foray into the mood management vision that we have here mm -hmm. at, at Canopy. So exciting stuff uh, from both Supreme and Ace Valley. This concludes the Q&A portion of the call, and I will now turn the call over to Mr. Klein for final comments. Thank you again for joining us today. This is a really exciting time to be in the cannabis space, and as I as I mentioned in, in my comments and in some of the questions uh, that I answered, we're not waiting around for U.S. permissibility. While we remain very opti uh, optimistic in terms of timing on permissibility, we're executing against our strategy today. And it's very exciting, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you're along for the ride. I hope that you and your families remain safe and healthy and uh, have had an opportunity to enjoy uh, this summer season. And I also encourage you to try our fantastic cannabis brands as well as uh, our non-cannabis uh, brands, uh, for those of you that aren't in legal markets. Um, I look forward to updating you on further progress that Canopy makes as the year progresses. Uh, our investor relations team will be available to answer any additional questions. Have a great day. This concludes Canopy Growth's first quarter fiscal 2022 financial results conference call. A replay of this conference call will be available until November 4th, 2021, and can be accessed following the instructions provided in the company's press release issued earlier today. Thank you for attending today's call, and enjoy the rest of your day. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.